Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Thanks so much. Uh, As Pastor Galen said, if you don't know me, my name is Hunter and I am the children's pastor here. Uh, And essentially what that means is usually I'm over there uh, in another room in Serato teaching the elementary kids. Uh, However, sometimes they ask me to come in here and bring one of the messages in one of our sermons. Uh, Right now we're in the series, The Purple Kingdom, and I couldn't be more excited to be here. Now, the thing is, because I'm usually in there teaching to kids, um, we do that in a much different way uh, than you guys do here in the adult room, as we like to call it. Um, And usually what I do is I tell a story, and when I tell the story, I ask the kids to come up and help act out the parts and tell the story with me. And no, before you get nervous, I will not be asking you to join me on stage this morning. Don't worry, you are more than good. Um, However, I do want to start with a question. Have you ever done something that could only be described with one word? Stupid? Have, like, like, a, like a, I can't believe I just did that kind of moment. Are you sitting here like, no way. No way I just said that. No way I just did that. This used to be a pretty semi-consistent theme in my life. Uh, You could just ask my poor mother, uh, whether it was breaking uh, dishes or glasses while trying to clean them, or it was getting in the way, or it was getting in the fights of my siblings and going a little bit too rough in the wrestling matches. I constantly seemed to find myself in the, I can't believe I just did that kind of moment. Yet, By far, the most memorable example of this happened when I was in college, when I moved out and was supposedly more mature. Uh, And I remember one day on this fateful, fateful day, I was walking into our library, Benner Library. You know, I seemed to have spent a lot of time in the library, which was strange because I spent no time studying. Uh, However, I was a huge extrovert and I liked people. And so I would walk in and I would look around for someone who's there, one of my friends, and I'd sit down, try to hang out with them, uh, which became increasingly obnoxious to my poor friends uh, as I did this over and over and over again. And on this day, that was the case. I walked into the library with no particular purpose in mind, just simply looking to see if one of my friends was there. And eventually, I found one, uh, my, my poor friend Ryan, on the second floor. Before you wonder, yes, I was so bored, I wandered all the way up the stairs onto the second floor of the library, looking for someone to hang out with. Uh, and my friend Ryan was sitting at the table on his laptop doing work, as most people do in a library, if you're not me. And naturally since Ryan was now the entire reason I was here in the library, I walked over to him. I said, Ryan, how's it going? What are you up to? And he looked at his laptop and said, well, I'm, I'm working. Uh, and he told me he was taking a test, a pretty important one, actually. And for the life of me, 
I will never understand the series of actions that I took next. In my head, a thought flashed, and before I could even consider it or sit down and think about whether I should take this action, I acted on impulse. And I reached over and I closed his laptop. Ha ha, take that. Good luck taking your test now. Now, in my head, this went like a, oh, ha ha ha, funny, funny. Now I'll just walk away, take your test kind of thing. Except, remember, I had lots of these moments. That wasn't always the case. And what started as a gentle close of his laptop and, and walking away laughing turned into me slamming his laptop close about as hard as I could and sitting there going, oh no, <laughs> what have I just done? Boom. Now again, this would have been fine. Except my face turned to horror as my friend Ryan opened his laptop. And it wasn't the test that greeted him once again. No, it was a blue screen. In my complete lack of self-awareness, I had slammed my friend's laptop closed so hard, it crashed. <sighs> Not my finest moment. Uh, my life has been dotted with such moments, actually. Moments in which I will say something when I should have been silent, uh, when I will act in ways that I will never be able to explain in any logical way at all, um, or I do something that just doesn't make sense. Perhaps this is why Peter is one of my favorite people in the Bible. Because like me, Peter's life is also full of such moments. Moments when he talks when he should be quiet or when he does something that he shouldn't have. Or at one point goes so far as to deny even knowing who Jesus is. While I didn't get to that point in my life, at least not yet, uh, I feel like me and Peter share something. We both have a lot of those moments. Typically with the kids, I tell a story. I'm a big story guy, and so today I want to tell you a story. Uh, it comes out of the Bible. I think the stories in the Bible are powerful. I think they teach us something really important. Uh, and our story today begins with our faithful friend, Peter, doing very typical Peter things. Our story begins in Matthew 18, 22, with Peter asking Jesus a question. Now, if you've not read much of the Bible or much of the Gospels or know much about Peter, you should know one thing. Whenever Peter is asking Jesus a question, that usually is not going well. Usually these questions don't make sense, or they're outrageous, or he just shouldn't have spoken at all. We don't really know what causes Peter to ask his question, but here it comes. Peter walks up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone who sinned against me? Um, that's a weird question to ask the Messiah, God himself, uh, I would say. And he sits there, he says, how many times do I have to forgive them? And to make it worse, he has a suggestion. He says, how many times do I need to forgive them? Up to seven. Seven, Jesus, seven. And when you read this, it feels off. Some, something's not quite right about what's going on here. And you can tell that it's all wrapped up into how Peter has approached this whole situation. See, it gives me the sense that Peter's been wronged, that he's been hurt, or that he's trying to find what he has to do, the minimum, the way out. And he comes to Jesus, he says, Jesus, how many times? I'll go up to seven. I'll give you seven whole times to forgive them. After that, they're done. 
Like how, how many times? What's, what's your rule, Jesus? Like what do I have to follow here? What's the minimum? And you could tell he's coming at him with this posture looking for a way out. It gives me the sense that Peter, someone has sinned against him time and time and time again. He's been counting. And his posture's wrong. He's coming looking, looking to be done, almost with like this righteous indignation. How many times must I forgive? Peter has a posture problem. And the question I have for you today as we begin is what is your posture before God? Are you coming to him looking for the minimum, counting the things wronged against you, looking for the way out like Peter is? Are you going to come with an ultimatum? Jesus, can I forgive them seven times? Is that enough for you? Is that enough? Can I be done after that? What's your posture? Who are you thinking about when you approach God? Are you thinking about yourself? Do you need something? You're looking for a way out? What's your posture? Maybe Peter should have thought twice about that one because for us, it becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly that, Jesus, that Peter is asking the wrong question. In fact, the response of Jesus says it all. Peter walks up to Jesus. He says, how many times must I forgive someone who sinned against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus looks at Peter in the eyes and he says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations will tell you 70 times seven. The point here is such a high number, you'll never reach it. Totally different. And Jesus follows this up with one of his parables, a story he tells to teach us something important. Jesus tells us the story of a servant, and this servant lived in a kingdom, and at the moment in this story, he owes a lifetime's worth of debt. It doesn't say how he got there or what he did, but we do know that it's far more than he could ever pay off. He owes it to a king, and one day the king decides it's collection day. It's time to pay up on your debts. I want you to imagine for a moment the bank calls you tomorrow and says, hey, your mortgage is due, not just the monthly payment, all of it today, or your car payment, or your student loans, or all of it right here, right now. Uh, this is, that would not be a good day for any of us. Neither is it a good day for this poor servant who owes so much more debt than he could possibly ever repay. King calls him up, says it's time to pay. Right here. All of it. Obviously, the servant doesn't have it, and so in response, the king orders that everything he owns be sold to pay it off, and him and his family be put in prison to work off the debt until it's paid. This servant's life is over. He's stuck the rest of his days working off this lifetime worth of debt. The servant, in response, falls to his knees and begs for mercy. King, please. He says, if you'll just be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. Just give me more time. And the king in this story does something astonishing. He looks at him, and he has pity on him. And not only does he just give him more time, instead he wipes away the debt entirely far above what the servant had asked for. He walked in there with a lifetime worth of debt, more than he could ever pay, and now he leaves free. No debt to his name. He owes no one anything. It's a clean slate, a second chance on life. 
I would guess he probably stopped for his favorite dessert on the way home to celebrate. I know I would. But as the servant went out, he saw another servant, one of his fellow servants, who owed him a much smaller amount of money. We'll call it a few months worth. And remember, he leaves having been forgiven a lifetime's worth of debt. But as he sees his fellow servant, he remembers he owes me money. And he walks up to him and he grabs him by the neck and he says, pay up right now. The bill is due today and demands it. That servant doesn't have the money. And so, in a scene very familiar to us, he falls to his knees and begs forgiveness. Please be patient with me and I'll pay it all back. Sound familiar? But this time, he was refused. The servant who was forgiven a lifetime of debt throws his fellow servant in jail to work off the debt owed until it is paid. The people around him were astonished at this turn of events. And they ran to tell the king, can you believe what this servant just did? He was just in here begging you for forgiveness. So the king calls the servant back in. This time his tone is much different. You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the king throws him in jail to be tortured until the debt is paid. It's here that Jesus tells us the point of the story, in case we haven't realized it already. As he finishes up, he then says this, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Maybe Peter should have thought about that question a bit more before he ran up to Jesus and asked it. See, the thing that sticks out about this story is the posture of the servant. And it reminds us of the posture of Peter. Peter may have been wronged or is coming looking for a way out and comes to Jesus and says, how many times do I have to forgive? His posture is wrong. He's thinking about what's been happened to him. Similarly, the servant who's been forgiven a lifetime of forget forgets about everything that just happened and demands what has been owed to him in that moment. You owe me. Pay it up right now. Yet it is here that Jesus reveals the posture problem they both have. Both of them have forgotten the debt of theirs that has been paid. The servant was forgiven a lifetime of debt, free to live out his days and do whatever he wants. He owes no one anything, yet he still goes and demands payment, giving the same punishment that he nearly faced. And in reality, he's not really that in the wrong. In fact, he has a right, it has been owed to him, he can demand that repayment. Yet, as the king says in the story, Shouldn't the servant show the same mercy he has been given? Shouldn't he take that and reflect it on his fellow servant? Or if you want to say it this way, shouldn't the one who was forgiven much forgive much? If it isn't obvious by now, the king in this story is God, forgiving us a debt we could never repay. The servant in the story is us. We have sinned greatly against God, just as everyone has, causing such harm to rack up a lifetime's worth of debt. 
one we could never repay. And when we come before him, we fall on our knees before him, begging for mercy for the wrongs we've committed against him. Begging for pity, for mercy. And God, just as the king does in the story, instead of holding us or forcing us to repay or even giving us more time to figure it out, he wipes the debt against you, making you free. The second half of this story is a warning. The forgiveness of God comes with a responsibility and an expectation from God. As the king shows, we are expected to forgive because we have been forgiven. In fact, as it says earlier in Matthew, your heavenly father will forgive you, but only if you forgive others. This is a very clear instruction and one of the only times in the entire Bible in which the mercy and grace of God is dependent on something we do. And it all begins with our posture. It's the challenge of the story. See, the servant could have left the king and lived reminded of the debt that had been forgiven. He could have left and passed it on to every single person who owed him anything. Remember what had been done to you and pass it on to them. He could have lived with a posture of mercy, of forgiveness, reminded of what had been done for him. See, things change when we live reminded that we are forgiven in that way with the grace of God poured over us. When we have the right posture before God and the right understanding of who we are, then we can't help but pass it on to the next person. The command to forgive becomes meaningless because if I have been forgiven much, how could I not forgive much? The thing is, this idea is completely opposite to how our world operates. In our world, every interaction is separate. Just because this person was nice to me doesn't mean I have to be nice to this person. Totally different interaction, totally different person. We separate it all out in our world. In fact, we live so much in the moment that we can only focus on the wrongs someone has committed. We look at someone and we see everything they've done to us. We live stuck in this hurt, demanding repayment, as the servant did. But it's here that Jesus gives us a glimpse of what it means to live as a kingdom people. God is calling us to look beyond the hurt that people have caused us or the wrong they've committed and instead be reminded of the grace that has been extended to us. In this way, God challenges us to change our perspective as well as our posture. We have been forgiven much, our debt to God erased, which leads us to forgive those who have wronged us. As the Lord's Prayer spells it out, forgive us our trespasses or sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. God is calling us to a different lifestyle, a kingdom lifestyle. The thing is, when we enter into the kingdom of God, we enter into a family of believers. It's why we're here. But the thing is about this family, it is one that has been defined by the forgiveness we share. In fact, it's probably the one thing we all have in common. We have all been forgiven a lifetime's worth of debt by God, a debt we could have never repaid. In fact, that's the ticket in. It's this forgiveness that lets us enter into the kingdom of God, into the family. And God calls us to keep our perspective on that. 
with the posture that comes along with it. It leads us to the obvious conclusion. If we have been forgiven much, we must forgive much. The thing is, I want to be clear, because too often this gets twisted. When we say forgive, what I'm not saying is to ignore the hurt that has been caused. My mom used to do this thing at home. See, I had siblings growing up, and we would constantly get into fights, um, and then we would, you know, push each other down or hurt each other or, like, hurt, like, call each other names or something like that, and we would always go at it so much. And my mom would see this, and she would have a dozen different ways to help us reconcile as siblings to move forward, to not let it sit. And that would usually look like, let's say, for instance, uh, my sister, you know, pushes me down and, and hurts me or whatever, and, and mom would say, okay, well, you know what that means. It's time to apologize. So she would come up, and she would say, Hunter, I'm sorry. There was a rule in our house. There was something we weren't allowed to say. If she said, I'm sorry, I wasn't allowed to say that it's okay. Too often you hear this, right? Someone comes up to you and says, I'm sorry, and you go, well, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Ignore it. But my mom was wise, and she said, that's not allowed because it's not okay. They hurt you. They caused harm to your relationship, to you physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever it is. It's not okay. You can say you forgive them, you can leave the hurt behind, but that doesn't make it okay. So don't even say it. And that's really, really important. When people hurt us, when they cause harm to us, those actions have consequences. They cause hurts that we leave, that stay with us, and that doesn't make what they did Okay, forgiveness then is saying that while real hurt has been committed, we are going to follow in obedience to God and leave the hurt behind. The truth about forgiveness is that the real person it frees is you. It's a refusal to let the hurt continue in your life, dominating how you feel. To demonstrate this, I want to imagine with you that you have a backpack. You thought I wasn't gonna use it. You carry with you a backpack, and in the backpack is full of rocks. And each of these rocks has a name written on it. That name is the name of someone who's hurt you, something they've done. Some of them are little. Maybe they cut you in line at the church potluck or the food truck Sunday. Uh, Some of those are much bigger. Maybe they weren't paying attention, texting on their phone, and caused you hundreds or thousands in car damage. And every time someone hurts us, their name gets written on a rock, and we put it in our backpack, our emotional backpack. We carry it around. Man, thousands of damage. You had to be on your phone. And every time we get hurt, we pick up another one, we put it there. It affects us. It stays with us. I mean, these things hurt. Maybe it's something, maybe it's something more serious. Maybe they disrespected your kids in public, or maybe they talked about your parenting in public. You put it in the backpack. Maybe your kid, maybe, maybe um, your business partner pushed you out of the business, the one that you built from the ground up with your blood, sweat, and tears. It was your pride and joy. They forced you out. Maybe it's something worse. Maybe your partner cheated on you or left you or caused you harm in some way. Maybe it's something worse than that. 
Whatever it is, every time someone hurts us, we pick up a rock and we put it in our backpack and we put the backpack on and we carry it around. We carry it with us everywhere we go. The more hurt that is caused, the more rocks that get put in your backpack with more names on it, with more descriptions of what people have done to you. It starts to affect how you stand. It starts to affect how you look. When a backpack is getting this heavy with all the hurt I've caused, all I can do is look down and barely know where I'm going and not even looking ahead. Your perspective is there. Your posture is there. Everything's all wrong. When you got a backpack this heavy, it becomes nearly impossible to look up to God. You're carrying the weight of too many people around. In fact, when we carry it around, all we can do is think about the backpack we're carrying. All I'm doing is thinking about the backpack I'm carrying, the hurt, the weight. Man, do you see the size of that rock? See what they did to me? Look inside of this. Can you believe that? All those people hurt me. The thing is, church, I have news for you. You're not meant to go through life like this, weighed down by a backpack of names of people and hurt that has been caused against you. You aren't meant to go through life like that. When we talk about forgiveness, this is what we mean. Instead of carrying the backpack of rocks around, You have to go before God and take them out one by one, leaving the hurt with him. That accident that caused you thousands of damage, that hurt. The partner who caused you harm, your spouse, that hurt. Your business associate, maybe got you fired from your job, took the business from you. Even the little ones. Something talk, someone talked about your kids in public. Said they weren't behaving enough. Whatever it is, when we talk about doing forgiveness, we talk about reaching in your backpack and finding the names, finding the hurt, finding the rocks, and giving you the opportunity to leave it here. These hurts are costly. I mean, they're heavy. I'm not, and I'm not saying it isn't. But the thing is, God is calling us to look beyond the hurt and follow him, reminded of the forgiveness that he has shown us. All of you, whether you realize it or not, have walked in here carrying a rock. Maybe not a physical rock like mine, but in your backpack. Maybe it's one that we've picked up yesterday or this morning. Maybe it's one we've been carrying around for 20 years. Maybe it's one that we've tried to forgive and put down and picked back up a million times, and we just can't seem to let go of it. But all of us have a rock. All of us have a name written on it with a description of what they've done to us. And I want you to think about that rock you walked in with. Think about the hurt. Think about the person that did that and the name that's on it. As you came in today, you received a price tag. And if you didn't, we have more for you down at the front. And I want you to pull it out now. And as the band comes up and plays behind me, I want you to pull it out and think about the cost. See, when someone hurts us, it doesn't do anything. It leaves behind a price. Their actions have a cost, a consequence. 
Someone caused you a hurt and they've left it behind and you're stuck with it. You are owed a debt and it's costly. Maybe nobody even knows what it is. Maybe you've been carrying around a day, maybe for longer, but I want you to pull it out. If you notice in front of you, at the front of the room, the altar has been put in front with more of these price tags up there. And what's going to happen is I want you, when you're ready, to write the name of the person on the price tag. Write it down. The person you've been carrying with you in your heavy backpack. The forgiveness that needs to happen is waiting. And when you're ready, I want you to bring it up to the altar. I want you to leave it there and walk away. Free. At last. All of us have a person. All of us have a hurt. Someone we need to forgive. God is calling us to live as kingdom people. A people of forgiveness. So I ask you, who is it? I have one myself, actually. In preparing for this, God reminded me of someone that I need to forgive. Something that I've been carrying around for way too long. And so I'll go first. But as the band plays, and when you're ready, I want you to come up and I want you to leave that person behind and walk away free. Today, you can walk in obedience to God, forgiving as he has forgiven you. And you can walk away free and light. Hey, thanks again for joining us for the First Naz podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the App Store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.